Hello, it's Paul Scott here, enthusiastic commentator on UK small caps and lead writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia.com every weekday. Uh, again, this week's really been dominated, well, the TV news anyway, has been dominated by um, the Queen lying in state. Um, I am frustrated at how parochial the news services in the UK are, because basically they've stopped reporting on everything else, which I know it's important that our head of state has died and is lying in state, but there's no actual new news on it. All we're getting is vox pops with people in the queues and a live stream of people walking past her coffin and um, Prince uh, King Charles and various other royals sort of seemingly immersed in doing speeches and walkabouts, which seems very harsh um, when you've just lost your mother, but that's the role they're born into, I suppose. So I wish I wish the TV news people would split it out and have one channel for uh, Mourning the Queen and have another channel for other domestic news and another channel for international news. You know, there are world potentially world-changing events going on in, in Ukraine with a stunning counterattack by the Ukrainians there, which has recovered a huge amount of territory. And I really struggled to get any information on that, having to turn to Twitter in the end. So that's been a bit frustrating. But I did go down to Green Park on Monday and laid some flowers uh, in to remember and uh, celebrate the Queen's life. I took a short video of it actually, so I'll put that up on Stockopedia uh, next week. Um, sorry for the delay. And I dedicated the flowers to my my family who and friends who asked me, a family member asked me to go there and lay some flowers on their behalf. Then I thought, well, why not? Let's broaden it out. So I've dedicated the the, the in the in my little short video, I've dedicated the flowers. To all my friends and family and podcast listeners and Stockopedia readers. So it's for everyone if you are interested. Obviously, if you're not, that's equally, that's fine. Um, now, in the coming week, we're going to get details of the energy cap for businesses. So I'll, that's pivotal news I'll be keeping an eye out for. Um, and I'll do some sort of macro general comments as usual uh, towards the end of this podcast. So launching into the individual companies we looked up in the, in the small cap value reports this week. Incredibly busy week again with loads of the main theme at the moment is interim results coming out for companies with December year ends and hence June half year ends. Uh, we've just been really, again, overwhelmed by the sheer volume of it, but we've covered as much as we can. Now, I looked at Beaks, uh, BKS. I do hold this one personally. It's a long-term holding of mine. Now, it put out an inline update for financial year 6.22 on Monday this week, so that's all fine. Expectations had previously been raised, and it hit those raised expectations. Um, it mentions a record sales pipeline, and if you look at the revenue growth on Beaks, it's really starting to go exponential, which is that's the exciting bit about this share. It's not the current valuation, which at 100 million ish, I think is is probably fully priced for now, actually. Um, it's the longer term potential now that this growth is really taking off. Just look at the graphs of revenue over five or six years and you'll see what I mean. It's started to really break out to a much, much faster growth rate at Beaks. And that's because they have they do this cloud uh, connectivity f f specialist for uh, financial exchanges and so on. And it's a really specialist niche area with practically zero latency servers stored in the, in the basement of each exchange so that traders and um, other institutions and banks and so on can 
can actually upload programs onto Beak's server and it's right next to the server for the exchange. So it can be preset to do trades with effectively practically zero latency. But they've, they've broadened out into various other related cloud services, some of which I vaguely understand, most of which I don't. Um, I'm just looking at the exciting growth at Beaks. I think it's really interesting. Now, they also revealed on Monday the identity of a major new customer, which had previously been anonymously announced. Now, I think when companies are permitted by a major big name client to actually mention that client's name, which obviously for security reasons, usually companies don't want it done. What does that tell me? Well, it tells me that they must be very happy and have a good relationship with Beaks and the customer, I mean, and also that the customer must believe that Beaks is uh, a cybersecurity is watertight because you certainly wouldn't normally give away the identity of the firm um, controlling uh, maybe even business critical uh, financial transactions uh, for you or providing that connectivity. So I think that was very, very interesting. As I say, overall with Beaks, I'm happy to hold. I don't think it's a, a, a raging buy at this level. It's, it's recovered quite a lot from the recent lows and it's in the middle of a quite a broad trading range, the share price. But I just have high hopes for that one long term. So it's for me at the moment, it's a it's a hold forever type of share. OK, moving on. Monday, I also looked at Axis Technologies, AXS. This is the thing that is run by Nick Clegg's brother, I think. Well, I didn't check if he's still there. But uh, it it makes this special type of wood called Akoya and another type called Trichoya, where they do various sort of high-pressure chemical complex processes to wood to make it uh, have much better properties such as appearance and long, long longevity and so on but the big and, and our demand is up and they pushed pushed their prices up quite a lot but the big problem with this company is actually getting production scaled up it seems to be expensive and capital intensive and complex to actually produce this uh, these Okoya products in in volume so they've done a number of joint ventures but those the US one seems to be going fine, but the, the new factory in a JV uh, in Hull seems to have run into problems. And they're saying that the price of gas is now potentially sort of putting that project on hold. Um, I'm a bit nervous about this. I think the whole thing looks a bit wobbly. Um, it's got a complex funding structure as well. I looked into that. There's lots of cash, but it's basically restricted and or earmarked for some of the JVs. And behind that, there's quite a bit of debt. So it did a top up equity funding a few months ago. And my hunch with Axis Technologies, if that if things don't go well, it may not be the last time that it's come to the market looking for more cash uh, from equity holders. Um, I like businesses that can growth companies that can scale up without a lot of capex. And Axis really is the opposite of that. But on the other hand, it's got this great product that's in demand. And maybe if you if you if we get our crystal balls out, maybe in two or three years, they might have got production ramped up to considerably more than it is now, and they could be doing well. So it's a tricky one, actually, Axis. I wouldn't, I don't have a strong view in it either way. I can see uh, quite strong arguments for bull and bear on that one. And now Graham looked at a couple, uh, three companies actually on Monday. He looked at Made Tech. Now I haven't actually looked into that one myself, but I have heard criticism from one or two uh, friends that they thought Graham was a bit too harsh in his analysis on that and we had some good reader comments as well 
that were presenting a more bullish case for it, which is what we like. We want on Stockopedia to discuss every share. We want to hear bull and bear from people who've researched it and know what they're talking about. And it's it's undoubtedly the most civilised shares bulletin board that I've ever seen on Stockopedia because, of course, people have to pay to join the site. And um, that means the sort of shouty, sweary uh, uh, keyboard warrior types um, don't uh, don't tend to uh, uh, come along. So um, very, very nice, friendly, supportive community. I have to say, I love reading the reader comments. I read all of them and I do respond to quite a reply to quite a lot of them as well. So thank you for everyone who, who contributes towards the uh, Stockopedia comments. Um, we're, we're, you know, it's a, it's a great community. Um, now, Graham also looked at Archon Tech, a very small software company and a quarrying company called Sigma Rock. So see Monday's report if you're interested in any of those. Now, I'm going to do a bit of a teaser here because I don't want to give away all my ideas free um, on these podcasts. But I did find another company on Monday that I think looks very interesting. So have a look at Monday's report for that. Now, Tuesday, first off, I looked at Excesso. Now, this is the thing, uh, ACSO. This is the uh, virtual queuing system software company and also ticketing. And it does various other related software uh, packages for theme park owners and so on uh, internationally. Uh, now the interims were quite good actually. You have to bear in mind with Excesso that it has a strong H2 weighting to its financial year because a lot of the theme parks uh, make you know make have the bulk of their activity over the summer, which falls into H2. So, um, but I thought the interims were quite good. Now the main driver of growth, though, as you'd expect for a theme park related business, was recovery from the pandemic. So we do have to bear in mind that the revenue, the strong revenue growth, and a much better profit performance wasn't organic growth it was just a one-off recovery from previously suppressed prices <clears throat> um, now it's got lots of cash as well the excesso balance sheet looks really good but this threw up um, fairly scathing criticism from me actually because the company quite nonchalantly said they don't intend to be paying any dividends uh, in the medium term, short to medium term, I think they said. But in uh, another paragraph, they then said that they're going to spend $10 million off the cash pile, which I think was nearly $60 million in total. They're going to spend $10 million of it buying shares um, for the Employee Benefit Trust. So I think to myself, hang on, you're not paying anything to the owners of the company at all. Well, I don't think they ever have done over the 20-odd years I've followed this share. I don't think it's ever paid any dividends. So the shareholders get nothing. But the employees, you're going to buy, you're going to blow, blow a sixth of the cash pile buying shares to give to them. That strikes me as a company that's got all its priorities wrong, and I think they're living in cloud cuckoo land. I think you know maybe it shows a mindset of the sort of the tech boom, you know, <clears throat> companies particularly in America where it was all about a dash for growth and nobody cared about dividends, even it even looked unfavorably on dividends as being what mature companies did that didn't have any better use for the cash. Well, I think attitudes have changed. They always do when tech shares uh, blow up, which we've had another tech bust really in the last year, which in many ways reminds me very much of the of the tech bust that happened in, started in March 20, uh, 2000. I remember that quite quite vividly still. Uh, and ran on, didn't really fully uh, start recovering until about March 2020, sorry, March 20, 2003. So it was a long, painful bear market that lasted nearly, well, two and a half to three years. 
and <clears throat> we're about a year into a pretty nasty bear market now which has similarly crashed a lot of tech not just valuations but attitudes as well towards it's much more difficult for them to raise fresh cash the valuations are much much lower and people are less tolerant of um, growth at any price and ignoring um, dividends so overall I think with going back to Excesso I think I've got mixed feelings about this company. I mean, the figures were a lot better, and they I think they said it was going to be in line for H2 as well, that the bulk of the busy period trading is now in the bag. So there are some, there are some positives there, but the whole thing feels a bit stale to me. It's a rather stale story. There's not really been much organic growth over the last five years or so. I appreciate we've had the pandemic, but it's now recovered from that. It's not much higher up in terms of revenues than it was well before the pandemic so i don't know i i question whether this is really still a growth company or not so i'm not madly keen on excesso uh what did graham look at he looked at trust pilot um and property franchise group both of those um are well worth reading quite interesting sections from graham uh, in Tuesday's report, this was. Oh, the other thing with Excesso, there was something wobbly about them saying um, they might have lost a big customer, or it was it was all very vague. Whether well, a big customer was <coughs> curtailing its uh, spend with Excesso, I think, is all I could really glean from it. But it was far too vague. If something's gone wrong, I'd rather know about it than they were basically Excesso was saying they can they've sort of made up for it in other ways, but they didn't quantify <clears throat> what the customer loss was or why. So too vague. And I think when people start to see negatives that are vaguely expressed, it, it, it can sort of set alarm bells ringing. Um, now, on the plus side with Excesso Technologies, um, they're now capitalising very little development spend. That was a big problem years ago. They had ridiculously aggressive accounting policies and seemed to be capitalising a large part of their own payroll into development spend on the balance sheet, which was ridiculous. But they've stopped doing that now, I'm pleased to say. So the figures look a lot more clean. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence on Excesso Technologies. Now, we had the two UK-listed pottery companies reporting this week as well. Churchill China um, has come down a lot from the highs, but still doesn't really look that cheap to my mind. Um, and Port Merion um, also reported on Friday, I think it was. So see Friday's reports for my report for my thoughts on that. Right, moving on to Wednesday. This was a bit of a catch-up day. We actually covered twelve companies in uh, in Wednesday's report, and still there were others left over. We're just getting so many interim figures to look at at the moment; it's unmanageable, really. This was, yeah, this was the day I looked at Churchill China. I think it was from the previous day's results. Um, good figures, good outlook, record order book. Um, but I'm a bit sceptical about the valuation, given that I'm worried about the outlook for the hospitality sector, which, of course, is the that's those are the, the customers for Churchill China's product products. So um, bit, I'm a bit nervous of Churchill China, but I think it's a fundamentally pretty good company. Uh, now, Jules, of course, J-O-U-L is just going from bad to worse. Been a terrible one, this one. I mean, management have just run the company into the ground over the last year. It's been extraordinarily uh, badly run. 
And the, we got talks that the negotiations were next for it to take an equity stake have fallen through. And the, the market cap of Jules dropped to as low about, as about seven or eight million. And what I spotted and a some couple of friends also emailed me because they spotted is that two of the big institutions have dumped their holdings. I think it was Octopus had nearly 10%. They've just declared they've gone to zero. And I think uh, a can accord which is usually at small caps, that's usually at the Hargreave Hale uh, funds, which were uh, used to be Hargreave Hale, but were bought out by Canaccord. They also seem to be rapidly selling off, which they often do in distress situations. Uh, Hargreave Hale are notorious for that. If they lose confidence in the company, they just dump their shares at any price in the market. And actually, I've got to say, when I've seen them do that before in the past, they've usually turned out to be right. Um, so the big question mark over Jules is who are the buyers? Who's bought the 15% in the company? Various ideas I had. Maybe Tom Jewell has um, increased his stake. We should find out in the next few days because, of course, uh, big holders, over 3% holders, have to declare. Uh, could it be Mike Ashley? He seems to pop up at practically every distressed retail and fashion type of uh, situation. Uh, could it be Next, who just decided, well, why would we pay 30 35p to buy new shares when we can buy them for 7 or 8p in the market? Um, who knows? Could be hedge funds, could be anybody, couldn't it? Uh, the only thing I would say is, so I think you might get a bit of a speculative uh, surge in jewels over the next few days, depending on who buys them. But the trouble is, these guys um, are not necessarily going to pay a bumper price in any takeover bid. There may not be a takeover bid. They might just want a seat at the table in the refinancing talks. Uh, and as we've seen with Mike Ashley, he's, he's very happy to put things into administration and buy them for a pound which, of course, he did with studio retail and completely stuffed all the private shareholders, although that seems to have been a far worse situation than the management had publicly uh, declared. And um, so, you know, I would just caution that, yes, it's fun to speculate on, speculate on these things, but the, uh, the chances of a good outcome uh, uh, may be... Uh, maybe exceeded by the chances of a, of a pretty bad outcome for shareholders. I think once it gets down to seven or eight million market cap, you know, they, anyone, anyone looking to refinance it might want to just buy it from a friendly administrator, buy the assets with none of the, none of the debt. And that way the purchase price goes to the administrator and then goes to the bank and there's nothing left for everyone else. So the trade creditors get stuffed usually and uh, certainly all the other shareholders get stuffed. So I think Jules is looking more wobbly by the day unfortunately i'm currently sitting that one out because it just doesn't um it just doesn't meet my uh, personal risk criteria anymore uh now best of the best botb put out an inline trading update this is an interesting one management have now largely sold out and they've sold i think it's 29 percent to teddy saggy of course who's very uh well-known um big investor with apparently an agreement for him to uh, uh, put two people on the board and to start um, doing international expansion. That that could be very interesting, but that's obviously going to be balanced up by the fact that the latest tranche of shares, the management selling the bulk of their remaining shares, they sold at four four hundred pence. So why would I want to pay more than that or even hold? I've only got a tiny bit of these left actually. I, I want to keep a foot in the door. But I think the positive thing is you could look at it and say, well, it needs fresh blood, it needs new ideas, and international expansion has never really been seriously attempted in the past. And um, it could be transformed if, as I expect, control will probably shift, I would imagine, from William High March to Teddy Saggy's uh, uh, people. 
uh, although that's not been agreed as yet, it's the obvious next step, isn't it? And given that BOTB management sold the bulk of their shares, they banked 60 million quid at £24 a share not long ago, uh, you would imagine that they probably uh, have probably lost interest in, in BOTB. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens on that. I'm keeping a foot in the door, as I say. Now, Naked Wine, W-I-N-E, plummeted 33% on a profit warning. And uh, uh, a recently appointed non-executive director who was non-independent. He was linked to the biggest shareholder. Uh, he walked out the door after just three weeks. So uh, th there's no scenario I can think of that sh shows that in a positive light. I'm quite, I'm quite worried about Naked Wines. It's obvious from the numbers that it needs to massively uh, clear excess inventories, which could mean having to sell below cost because the margins on wine are not particularly high. So, yeah, I think the, the, the growth, the whole growth story at Naked Wines is over. Uh, so I, and they're, they're looking at revised strategies. I think they've got to just slash the costs and slash their inventories if they want to stay solvent, in my opinion. Um, and remember, the cash pile belongs to the customers more than the entire cash pile is owed to what they call their angels. It's, it's people paying subscriptions up front. So Naked Wines, I'm pretty bearish on, actually. Uh, so reader asked me to look at Blackbird. Um, it's a tiny loss-making thing, but the losses are not that bad, and it's got plenty of cash in the bank, 11.6 million. But I couldn't get anywhere near a 70 million market cap, 7-0. So I don't really have a view on that. You need to be very confident that its software is going to take off to be paying 70 million quid for a tiny loss-making company. Uh, I looked at Amparia as well, AMP. Um, pretty underwhelmed by that. Excellent balance sheet, but the, the outlook comments look a bit wobbly. This is another one where, I, you know, the growth has been pretty lacklustre, actually, and it's difficult to see why it's still on a premium rating. Uh, Trackwise Designs, that's, as I say here, TWD, that's collapsed, collapsed in stages. It's only 11p now, 4 million market cap. We've discussed it before, and thankfully Graham persuaded me not to invest. Well, he didn't directly persuade me, but his comments on it on Stockopedia uh, made me rein myself in when I was thinking of buying some at around 40p. So uh, thank you very much, Graham. You're you're uh, often I think a lot of the value of the small cap value reports is actually steering people away from companies that obviously need to raise cash. Um, we do a lot of that and we're nearly always right on those uh, warnings. So, uh, yeah, Trackwise Design, everyone's saying how amazing the technology looks, which it does. But if it's only four million market cap, why hasn't somebody swooped in to buy it if the if the technology really is that brilliant? It's another classic case, of, unfortunately, of a small ambitious British tech company that just didn't raise enough cash to get it to the end result where it wanted to get up to. It's it's relied on repeat funding rounds. And if that coincides with a sudden drop in market confidence, it's uh, it's a disaster. I wish I wish British companies would just be more ambitious and would would fund themselves better with a proper, you know, contingency reserve of cash of ample size to be able to get through the inevitable delays and overspends that happen at pretty much all small growth companies. So that's a pity to see. I don't know what will happen with Trackwise, but it's just it's just too risky, given that they now they're saying they do need to raise more cash. Uh, they've tried to renegotiate the contract with their, they're trying to renegotiate the contract with their biggest 
customer, which itself is an electric vehicle startup that I had a look at and was pretty underwhelmed by by that company. I was reading some of its announcements on NASDAQ and it was saying that it was having to scale back costs and, you know, that looked to be in retrenchment mode as well, the big customer. So without that, TrackWise really has got very little, I think. So too risky for the moment, but I'll keep monitoring it. Now we had a quick look at Ricardo, RCDO. Um, this is a interesting engineering consultancy group. Looks to be have been a nice turnaround. I was quite impressed with the numbers here, and um, we've been speculating on which could be the next uh, takeover target in the consultancy space because they seem to be um, popular candidates for international buyers. Uh, RPS was the most recent one, which received a bid from Canada at a very big premium um, price, and uh, I think Ricardo could be attractive to a bidder. So although it's risen a lot from the recent um, recent uh, lows. Uh, Graham looked at BP Marsh. Uh, what else do you look at? Oh, Bioventix. Yeah, that was ahead of expectations. Quite an interest, very interesting company. Just a tiny number of staff producing um, big barriers to entry. Uh, very, very incredibly high net margins. So although the shares sort of traded sideways for quite a long period of time, but... Um, uh, and it's, um, you know, it's, as Graham points out, it's the cheaper end of where it's historically traded, which doesn't mean it's cheap, but it's a very, very, well, it's a unique company, really. Graham also looked at Focus Right, uh, ticker T-U-N-E, um, <clears throat> and Hornby, H-R-N. So I think that's covered most of the ones we looked at on, uh, what was that? That was Wednesday. Okay, Thursday's report next. Now, I find a cracking little company. I'm not going to give reveal the identity of it here because we've got to hold something back for the subscribers. So Thursday's report is the one to look at, I think, for people who want to see a nice value share idea. Apart from that, Graham and I really got out the, uh, got out the knives for a couple of um, shares that we really don't like one bit. For me, it was DFS Furniture, which... Um, uh, I think the I don't know what they're what on earth is going on there, but they're stepping up the share buybacks and they paid special dividends previously this year. But if you look at the cash flow statement, all the money for these shareholder returns has been borrowed from the bank, and the latest figures in the going concern statement showed that they're they've only got thirty five million pound headroom left in as of twelfth of September on a 215 million pound bank facility. Now to my mind, for a furniture retailer to be considerably gearing up on its bank borrowings going into a recession seems ridiculous. I don't know what on earth they're thinking of. The commentary I thought sounded very complacent. It said about management said basically we've managed fine in previous recessions, we gain market share as competitors go under, and basically we're not worried about a downturn, even though they've then gone on to say in the outlook section that sales um, have been slowing, order intake has been slowing, although they've got the cushion, obviously, of the uh, <clears throat> the existing order book. I think DFS is fundamentally not a bad company. Its um, profits have dropped. It's it's sort of gone back. The, the pandemic boom has has passed, and it's got back to a range of making fifty to sixty million a year profit. Although the guidance for the current year, they do this one. They do fantastic guidance. Uh, DFS does. It shows a table of low, medium, and high. 
scenarios and it shows you you know what they what the revenue growth would be and and, and the actual profit in those various scenarios now i really wish all companies would do this because companies have all got that information internally in their budgets you know you never have one budget well you don't usually in my days as an fd you know you yes you have a central case which is your core budget that you, you think that's how you're going to perform but you then do a downside scenario and an upside scenario as well and that <clears throat> information can be easily presented by all companies but hardly anyone does present that information i think dfs is the only one i can think of and i really wish um <clears throat> all companies would give this guidance it's fantastic so anyway <clears throat> the, the guidance for the current year for dfs is a further drop i think it was off the top of my head from between 20 million low case and 50 million up case i think it, it will ballpark those figures now there's no guarantee of course that they'll achieve even the low case number they could we seem to be it seems pretty clear we are going into a recession or at least consumers are retrenching as you would expect uh, when inflation is exceeding wages growth and you've got all this energy crisis going on as well <clears throat> so i think dfs are crazy to be doing what they're doing stretching their balance sheet borrowing money to to pay to shareholders at this point in time i think is just downright reckless and for that reason i wouldn't touch dfs shares uh, Graham looked at THG, the Huck Group, and came away distinctly underwhelmed, as I have been. I have no idea how they got the, that share away at such a crazy valuation in the in the boom times last year or the year before. So uh, it's it's dropped massively, and I don't I don't see value in it at all. I think it's still loss making; doesn't interest me at all. And Graham uh, was pretty, pretty scathing about uh, that one, which was great stuff. I enjoyed reading his report. He also looked at uh, Avap, which is Avation, the aircraft leasing company. Many of us have met um, their CFO Richard, who turns up at pretty much every investor show. <laughs> um, nice chap, and you know answers all the questions and so on. Although obviously, you know, aircraft leasing hasn't exactly been a great space to be in. Although at some point these things um, do start to look good value where nobody will touch them. Now, I also looked at HFG. What was that? I can't remember. It's not Holford's, is it? No. Oh, Hilton Food. There we are. Yeah, it was down 27% on a profit warning. The results actually didn't look too bad. But uh, rather annoyingly, and Port Merion did this as well, actually, they... Um, They've, the extent of the profit warning is fed out to the brokers. So you only then, uh, you know, maybe later in the day, if you can get hold of the broker notes at all, you find that actually they've reduced their forecast considerably. So with Hilton Food, the um, the forecast earnings for 12.22 was reduced by 23%. So no wonder the shares dropped 27%, similar sort of ballpark, because, you know, it's missed by um it's it's going to miss um forecast by that amount now what's strange about Hilton food is that the brokers didn't reduce expectations in advance of this well which to me would seem fairly obvious it's a it's a, a meat processing company basically and of course consumers are cutting back on meat you know it, it, why is that a surprise to anyone and yet the broker forecasts didn't reflect that until bang there's a profit warning surely companies and they're sorry bang the laptop with my knee surely companies and their brokers should be factoring that in and i think one of the best features on stockopedia on the stock reports is you've got those lovely little graphs showing the trend of broker consensus earnings over the last 18 months so it's vital to look at those and if the company is doing anything even vaguely cyclical or consumer related you want to see those broker forecasts already gradually coming down 
because that tells you that the, bro the company and the brokers are talking to each other and the company is saying, oh, look, hang on, you know, things are slowing down a bit, so we need to be a bit more cautious. Because people forget, you know, the profit number is uh, the difference between two very large numbers above revenue and costs. And the profit is the sliver that's left over. Certainly at Hilton Foods, you know, the margins are very, very low. You're only talking about 3% or something. So if your costs escalate quite a bit and you're not able to feed that through to a similar percentage rise in revenues, then profits could, could you know, get really badly hit. Because if it's only 3% to start with, you know, it doesn't take a lot to move that down to 1% or even into losses. And I think a lot of people, that's, you know, in a long-winded way of saying operational gearing. And I think a lot of people forget about operational gearing and then get absolutely, see share prices absolutely massacred when, um, when you go through a downturn in the economy, which is very much the position we're in now, isn't it? So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, overall, I can't get excited about health and food, I'm afraid. Friday is uh, very, very quiet, as usual, as Fridays usually are. So um, <clears throat> Naked Wines, uh, again, they said that the former CEO is returning as an unpaid advisor for the next two to three months. So uh, I don't know what that suggests. Is the company going to be up putting itself up for sale, maybe? I don't know. Um, I think, I don't, I, I don't think... Um, well, obviously, a former CEO coming back is going to bring a lot of, a lot of knowledge and experience back in. Uh, <clears throat> maybe he's going to try and reinflate the bubble. I don't know, but uh, I'm, I can't, I can't get excited about Naked Wines at the current price. I think the whole, the whole growth story has completely collapsed, and it's really going to be a question of managing the business so that it doesn't go under, in my view. So, um, yeah, deeply unexciting that one. Uh, I looked at facilities by ADF, the, um, does the outside broadcasting support vehicles. Uh, very interesting little company. I thought the interims were a little bit disappointing. But there, and uh, <clears throat> a problem with this company, which uh, is new to me, is that it said a lot of the TV projects it worked on um, in the first half were relatively short. Therefore, there was a lot, there was more downtime in between jobs. Where, and having to move the equipment around so there were more costs of fuel and drivers to move the gear around, whereas it makes a, a, a high margin work on the bigger projects that go on for months. But it says there are more, there are a bit more bigger projects expected in H2. So, yeah, a bit disappointing. It dropped about 20% on the results coming out, but I saw that it's actually recovered slightly. I think it's fundamentally a nice little company. Uh, facilities by ADF. The ticket is ADF as well. I'm currently out of that one um, because I'm not sure how far this boom in streaming TV uh, program making has got to run. But apparently there are uh, big American outfits setting up new studios and so on in and facilities in the UK. So it does seem to be there are good tax breaks, of course, for making TV and films in the UK. Uh, and everyone speaks English as a first language which is obviously going to be a, a help to uh, American companies, isn't it? I also looked at Port Merion on the interim results, but we mentioned this before. This one was also really a profit warning, but it was rather concealed in the uh, commentary, which I didn't like, whilst the brokers then reduced um, <clears throat> EPS by 20%. Uh, it was David O'Hara, actually, who flagged this up to me, and he said he thought that was a bit off, and I think he's right. I think if if a company misses expectations and guides the brokers down 20%, that should be explicitly stated in the R&S, not, not sort of brushed under the carpet. 
which it was a bit with Port Merriam. So um, a little bit of a black mark for them. Okay, moving on to section two, which is my general market and macro commentary. Now, remember, obviously, I'm just an enthusiastic uh, follower on this sort of stuff. I'm just really negotiate, um, regurgitating interesting things that I've spotted in, in the press and in the economic data and so on. I'm not saying I've got all the answers because nobody can forecast the future. So uh, my own personal portfolio has actually had a, a little bit of a recovery. So I've gone from, I was, I think, 42% down last time I spoke to you, which is an appalling performance, but I'm not selling anything uh, for a number of years anyway. So I'm not really that bothered about what my mark-to-market performance is because it's long-term money and I don't need the money hopefully for years to come so and I bought all those shares in my in my SIP with an intention of holding them long term so uh, I'm now only down 38% whoopee doo <laughs> I've had some nice recoveries actually amongst some of my shares the one that's really pulling me back is Seraphine BUMP that's still drifting down although I think it's a very very cheap nice little company high margin um, uh, distinctive online vendor of maternity wear so I, th I think it's a good company but the market's just not interested and that's the largest position in my long-term portfolio and it's still dropping but of the others in my long-term portfolio beaks as i've mentioned earlier that's recovered that's bounced nicely probably priced about right so i'm happy to hold that and cambridge cognition also another big in my sip a long-term holding that's that's bounced nicely recently now the interesting one's fulcrum Fulcrum, oh, what's it called? Fulcrum something or other. I'll look at FCRM is the ticker. Now, Fulcrum um, has really put on a spurt recently. Um, <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> there's the specular, uh, Fulcrum Utility Services, that's it. Look really, really over, oversold. So I bought those quite near the lows. I didn't quite catch the low. Um, it bottomed out at about 5p. Well, it suddenly shot up to about uh, 8p. 0.1p. It was tipped in the in the uh, Telegraph this week, though. But also, there's talk of it rose 29% on Friday. There's there's gossip on the bulletin boards about the possible takeover bidder because the largest uh, shareholder, I think, is an insider, has gone right up to about 29%. This is also one where shrewd investor Christopher Mills has a holding, and it's very nicely asset backed. Fulcrum is, and it did a refinancing. See the uh, archive of the um, small cap value reports for that one. So I'm actually amazingly in profit on that which uh, which I'm quite pleased at but uh, I've got a target price of sort of 20 to 30p on that which would be the level at where I'd be happy to sell so at 8p I'm I'm happy to hold and uh, you know we'll see what happens so not too bad for my portfolio compared with where it was although markets as a, as a whole um, we've seen the US indices have given up nearly all of the summer rally now so very bearish still uh, and obviously, UK indices really just follow the U the US indices, don't they? So it's all still we were we were starting to feel a bit more positive, um, but again, these rallies don't seem to hold, do they? So it still feels like bear market rallies rather than a sustainable long term base. Although I think looking at the more individual shares level of the UK companies, I'm closely monitor about 100 shares, which are things I own or things I want to own or where I'm looking for signs of them bottoming out. I think quite a lot of them are bottoming out now, do seem to be getting to levels where there are just very few sellers left. Um, but it depends on whether they've recently disclosed their overall trading performance. The companies I'm worried about, particularly with what happened with Jules, 
I decided to, I got cold feet on some of my other consumer stocks. So I've I've capitulated on Superdry, S-D-R-Y, just because we're not getting any information from the company. They, as a mid-market brand, they I can't see how they'd be doing well right now. But you just never know. Every now and again, these companies put out, oh yeah, everything's fine type of updates where you think, well, that's really surprising. But um I don't. I, I don't want to take any more hits to my to what's left of my capital, with my consumer stocks. So yeah, I've bailed out on Superdry. I'll look to go back in if if and when I'm happy with the next trading update. And that's really the biggest mistake I've made this year. A lot of these things there was so much uncertainty. I should have just just cashed out in in the spring and just said right. I'll I'll wait with a pot of cash. That's probably my biggest single flaw as an investor is that I still haven't learned how to hold cash. I just want to be fully invested all the time, which is clearly um, not a good strategy. Anyway, looking to other things. Um, now, I saw some very interesting data on um, Bloomberg, I think it was, or CNBC, and I took some screenshots with my camera. Now, ING put out some data which Bloomberg highlighted, or CNBC highlighted, showing the difference between, this is concerning UK inflation, now, what the ING forecast showed was a graph of what they previously thought it would peak at, which was something like 14, 15% roughly, UK inflation this is. And they, um, they are now saying they think with the price capped, caps for consumers at £2,500 per annum for the energy costs, they say that's made a decisive difference to peak inflation. And instead of peaking at, here we are, 16% in early 2023 was ING's previous estimate for the peak inflation in the UK. They're now saying it more or less has peaked at about 105 to 11%. It's about 10% now UK inflation. And the price cap, which is what I've said all along, we need a hard price cap on electricity and gas prices to really drastically stop the immediate impetus for inflation to turn into hyperinflation. So it's really encouraging to see that the forecasters at ING are also now saying that this, this, this energy price cap in the UK will make a massive difference to peak inflation. And um, Liz Truss in her speech said, said pretty much the same thing, that the price cap will um, take off 500 basis points from peak inflation, which is pretty much exactly what ING's forecast is saying. So not 16% inflation now, the peak, it'll actually be near 11%, which will have obvious huge benefits for um, government spending, because they won't then need to uprate benefits and salaries and pensions by anywhere near as much as what would have happened without an energy price cap. Um, and it also means that wage negotiators will be able to say to the unions or their staff, well, hang on, you know, you, we don't need to give you a 15% pay rise to keep up with inflation. We can only afford to give you about 7%, uh, but inflation will be back down to 7% by the spring. Uh, and then we'll rapidly reduce, ING reckons it's going to come down quite rapidly next um, next year, down to 2% by autumn this time next year. So um, there you go, that's independent. It's not government forecast. I thought that was very interesting. The other forecast I saw was... Um, sorry, data I saw, and I'll put up a link on this, is that there's been a big drop in the wholesale prices of gas and electricity, plus, of course, the price of oil's come down a lot. Now, these it's, these, these uh, wholesale prices are still very elevated, obviously, on gas and electricity. But the uh, just some figures on this I found, and I'll put up a couple of links to this. 
in next week's uh, Small Cap Valley report. The price of UK um, wholesale electricity uh, peaked at £6.40 very recently. That's pence per therm, 640 It finished on Friday at 290 So it's more than halved from the recent peak, uh, wholesale electricity. Now, if that sticks at, a, at that lower level, and of course, people are using less electricity because it's now so expensive, uh, and there are all these measures being taken on the supply side by the government to renegotiate supply contracts and break the link with wholesale prices, uh, which makes obvious sense. So, I, I, I don't know, look, I, I, don't, I can't predict what's going to happen, but all I'm saying is these uh, wholesale prices are still very high, but they've come down a lot. And I saw on another chart, which I'll link to next week, um, it shows the price of electricity, wholesale electricity, at priced um, in kilowatt hours, which is the same as obviously our bills are priced in. And it shows the current price of electricity wholesale is 44 pence per kilowatt hour. Now, my flat is all electric, no gas. And I'm currently paying Shell, I think, 34 pence per kilowatt hour, which I thought was extortionate. But I, I can now see that actually Shell is subsidising me by 10 pence per kilowatt hour. So people who are angry about their electricity companies overcharging them, all they're doing is passing on, trying to pass on the wholesale cost. And our, uh, many, many households will currently be, um, will actually be paying you know, the electricity supply company will be supplying you that electricity um, and they're generating a loss on it. So you can see why the government announced um, support packages for to put liquidity into the electric market to stop more of these utility supply companies, billing companies actually going bust. It's the it's the it's the actual generators of the renewables and the nuclear energy that are that are that are raking in the profits, aren't they? And I saw that the EU has introduced some sort of windfall tax on renewables and nuclear producers, I think uh, 140 billion euros, I thought, which I think it's about six or seven times the size of the UK economy. So that would be the equivalent of about 20 odd billion in a windfall tax, which I think is four times as much as the figures I've seen for the the original windfall tax that was introduced by Rishi Sunak, about five billion, I think that was set to raise. Um, so well, these are all very interesting developments that I'm following. Um, but anyway, um, we should get details of the energy cap on businesses in this coming week. So I'll devote some time to that when it comes. Uh, we've already been told it's six months support for businesses. In the last podcast, I, I I misspoke. I said 12 months when I meant six months. So sorry about that. Um, and But they have already said it'll be longer than six months for the hospitality sector, um, which is giving a bit of a boost to some of those hospitality shares that are very bombed out. I think it's an interesting interesting sector hospitality actually because they're so cheap some of those shares um weak consumer spending data was out in the uk on i think thursday or friday which hit a lot of shares i'm gonna have a look at that i haven't looked at it yet um and then the u.s market sold off seemingly on um inflation readings being a little higher than expected so um, maybe inflation hasn't quite peaked. I don't know. But I also saw some interesting data about energy costs in the US. Of course, they're energy independent because they're doing fracking, whereas we've you know, taken the more eco route in Europe. And um, look where it's got us. Uh, I think they, you know, they, they were they were certainly premature in closing down alternative ways of producing energy, weren't they? But nobody really thought about energy security. 
um, up until now when it's you know front and center of course and then uh, obviously exchange rates is the other concern the pound is very weak against the dollar back down to levels it was almost 40 years ago um, the euro is also very weak I saw that still at parity or slightly below parity with the dollar um, most may, most currencies are weak against the dollar but the pound seems to be particularly so uh, which doesn't help, does it? Increases the prices of imports and so on. So I don't know where we're going, but I think there are. I think we're approaching the point where inflation peaks, and uh, at some point markets are going to factor that in. So I don't know. I'm. We'll have to see, won't we? Um, but certainly in in, the, in my small cap universe, there are plenty of companies that are performing in line or even putting business to, to business to business firms, even some of them putting out quite good updates. So, um, and a lot of the small caps seem to be finding a flaw, but we'll see, we'll see. It's all unknown, isn't it? So uh, obviously Monday I'll be off work um, watching the Queen's funeral on telly. I think I'm going to go down to line the route at some point between uh, central London and west London as it goes through to to Richmond I think uh, to Windsor rather I think it'd be quite nice to to sort of just be there with with the crowds um, I think it's strange the way some people start whooping and cheering and clapping it doesn't seem appropriate to me but I suppose people show their respect in different ways don't they so um you know that's that's the way it is anyway i'll stop rambling now because i think the file size is just approaching the level where it won't be uploadable <laughs> so thanks for listening and thanks in particular for those of you who subscribe to stockopedia we do need to uh, obviously in a market in a, in a bear market i know a lot of people give up but this is where we'll be finding the multi-baggers of the future. Never forget that. Sentiment can turn on a dime. And I think uh, at some point, the bull will come back out again. I just don't know when. And some of the valuations are really compelling in some small caps now, I think. So I remain upbeat about the long-term potential. But obviously, like everyone else, I'm pretty miserable and depressed about what's happening currently. But we'll get through it. We'll make money in the next bear market, as we always do. All right. Thanks again. Hope you're well and bye for now.